Hi, I'm James. And I'm Ria. And this is Ether and Icor, a podcast about the stories behind stories in folklore, fairy tales, mythology, and the Gothic. This week, we're talking about Dracula. Yay! Obviously, that is a huge topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are so many Draculas. And uh, because it's in the public domain, anyone can and should mm-hmm. and is compelled to do mm-hmm. anything and everything to and with Dracula. <laughs> yep (laughs) but uh what that means for this podcast is uh we are just going to talk about the draculas we like because we can and no one can stop us Mm -hmm. yeah so we will uh start at the very beginning a very good place to start with the novel by bram stoker published in 1897 Uh, bram stoker an irish author whilst dracula is obviously the most well-known vampire literature of the 19th century there's a lot that came before yeah as, as we discussed last week yeah well i mean we didn't get into all of the literature quite so much yeah yeah yeah. but there were a lot of 19th century uh literary sources that he pulled from yeah um, as well as f- the folklore and history mm-hmm. things yes but we we will talk about some of his vampire predecessors yeah uh, in a couple weeks yes so he's an interesting fellow <laughs> Bram Stoker or Dracula? Both. Um, <laughs> we have a copy of his lost journals, but neither of us have read it yet. Yeah. Stoker was a member of the London Library and did a lot of his research there. They found um, books that he used for research and he's put notes in them mm-hmm. because he's apparently the kind of person who puts his notes in library <laughs> books. Bram. Anyway, I do want to see them though, is the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, how dare you write in your library books, you jerk. I would like to see those notes, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people who have dedicated far more time than we have to analyzing the sources that Bram may have used, uh, including historical ones. We can say for sure that he spent time in Whitby and mm-hmm. that that was an influence, hence the setting or partial setting in Whitby. I do want to say that uh, I fully understand wanting to set something in Whitby because yeah. it is so, so cool. <laughs> it's yeah. so beautiful. And the cliff where the abbey ruins uh, are and that big graveyard is just so beautiful. And yeah. like we're always saying when we watch Dracula films, like why haven't they used that big cliff in Whitby? Because... Truly. It is so picturesque and so beautiful, and you see at a glance why he used mm-hmm. that as a setting, because it is just perfect. Yeah. Um, but nobody uses it. <laughs> Back to that guy. Yes. So we know that he spent um, some time in America, which influenced one of his characters, who we will get to at length. But he didn't spend any time in Eastern Europe. Like, he's never mm-hmm. actually been to Transylvania. He was also uh, friends with Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. Fellas, <laughs> is it gay to be friends with Oscar Wilde and Walt Whitman and write them interesting letters? <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessarily, but... In this particular case. Mm-hmm. Although I don't suppose we can actually say anything. We're no. just We're just speculating wildly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, because as we have covered previously, there is no such thing... As a straight vampire. Mm -hmm. Vampires are inherently homoerotic. Mm -hmm. It makes sense Mm -hmm. for somebody who is closeted queer guy 
yeah. to explore that in this genre. Yeah, but obviously we can't... Again, we were again. just speculating wildly. We don't have anything to go on. Well, his wife can't sue us, so... That's true. She can't burn our podcast. That's not a thing that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Florence. <laughs> Actually, don't... Um, I really respect you, Florence, yes, and I think you're you. cool. You're great. Even though you were distinctly not cool about Nosferatu, yeah. but that's fine. Um, I did want to say about the book um that it is in epistolary format Mm -hmm. uh, which means it's collected letters and diary entries and newspaper clippings yeah um which is just such a cool format it is so difficult to write well Mm -hmm. but it really really works for dracula Mm -hmm. um as well as being like it, it is the found footage format that yeah. uh, we see in horror films today. But that, like the found footage thing or the found manuscript thing as it used to be, uh, dates all the way back in the Gothic to the very first asterisk contested, <laughs> uh, the very first Gothic novel, uh, Horace Walpole's The Castle of Otranto in 1764, which uh, chronology nerds will note is far before 1897. <laughs> But the um, found footage or found manuscript thing is used in the Gothic for a number of reasons, all of which are very um, applicable to Dracula. In many cases when it's used, it's to sort of establish legitimacy, but also distance. So you can say, like, I found this, this story in this manuscript holed up in a wall somewhere in a monastery in Italy mm-hmm. or some such and you can say I didn't write this somebody else wrote this so obviously like we have to take their word for it but also I didn't write it so you can't come for me <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Bram Stoker was not attempting to pass Dracula off as a non-fiction mm-hmm. narrative um, actually the castle of Otranto originally was then it was revealed to be a work of fiction mm-hmm. uh, and not a manuscript found in the wall of a Catholic family's home in the north of England? Was it Catholic? I think it was Catholic. Probably. They either said it was Catholic or Protestant, and I don't remember which one it was. I think it was Catholic, probably. Yeah, because um, the whole, like, Catholicism and superstition Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, Anyway, other cool thing about the epistolary format, which is made use of in Dracula is that you get multiple perspectives. And the idea is kind of having multiple perspectives on the same thing makes it more believable. Mm -hmm. So like if you just had Van Helsing's (laughs) journals and letters Mm -hmm. on the whole Dracula situation, you would probably look at that and go, um, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is this man on about? Uh, But having everyone's perspective is useful to be like, hey, this actually happened. Even though that's not necessarily what Bram Stoker is trying to say, within the world of the narrative, it makes it more believable. Yeah. Also, it's just cool to get, like when an epistolary format is done well, which it is in Dracula, Mm -hmm. you get the different character voices through their own writing, which is very cool. It's probably apparent with no one more than Van Helsing because... The way he talks, like, I I was trying to write something with Van Helsing, and every time I did dialogue, I was like, this is too weird. Like, this is not believable at all. And I went back to the book and reread some of Van Helsing's bits, and I went, oh, I could go weirder, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, 
He's so he's just a weird little dude, and I love him so much. <laughs> he talks like a lolcat. He does. <laughs> we should find the the ancient lolcats <laughs> and resurrect them and put like Van uh, Helsing quotes. Van Helsing quotes on them. <laughs> the other thing, like <laughs> the. The, the rules for the vampire law in Dracula are not consistent. These inconsistencies in the law, like having multiple perspectives, you bring up the unreliable narrator thing. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of blame any inconsistencies with the law on the unreliable narrator. Yeah. I like uh, all the different lore, <laughs> though. Yeah. Because like we talked about last week, there are so many different kinds of vampires and mm-hmm. some of them have directly contradicting lore and some of them just mm-hmm. have weird random things. And a lot of what he used for Dracula, you can see in different folklore, like the uh, the use of garlic, even though in Romania it is bulbs that they use mm-hmm. underneath the tongues of corpses to prevent them from coming back as Strigoi. In Dracula, they use garlic blossoms, which I think is really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of the werewolf vampire lore that happens here, which is obviously a thing that is present in folklore, mm-hmm. but not necessarily in the same place as Strigoi. So he's kind of taking different things from different lore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. And that's, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I like to do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, studying all of the different kinds of mm-hmm. vampires and all the different folklores and being like, okay, I would like some of this one and a little bit of that one. And yeah. we're just going to mix them together. I think that's cool. And I think that's valid. I suppose the other thing um, in terms of like contradictions in law with it being first person, it does again work because these people, like you have that trope of the people in Dracula don't know they're in Dracula. Uh-huh. When they're first meeting this guy, they don't know that he's a vampire. Like They don't know about vampires. And like, I just love Jonathan's journals, which yeah. are the first few chapters of Dracula. And it's just, oh God, I love Jonathan. He's just a sweet little himbo. (laughs) He's writing in his journal, like, all of this weird-ass shit, like it's the most normal thing in the world. And Mm -hmm. then he's like, I'm going to get this goulash recipe for Mina. (laughs) I miss Mina. She's the best. (laughs) I saw the the host of this castle uh, climbing up the walls. That's a weird thing. Anyway, I miss Mina. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Jonathan, <laughs> I love you him. fucking weirdo! I love you. <laughs> I do. I do love him. I think the Brides of Dracula scene is the way it's described in the book is so cool. Yeah, and the way that it ends up on film is often like they they seem like kind of carbon copies of the same scene, but I'm so glad they do it that way, just because it's specifically is confirming Dracula as a bisexual vampire mm-hmm. because that's the scene in which he explicitly states a desire for Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And I I just very much appreciate that, that that scene never gets cut Yeah, because I think it's very important and it is very cool visually. So there's just no good reason to cut it. Yeah, it's, it's always a good one. Also, Brides of Dracula hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I think true. we all had a moment... <laughs> Jonathan is really our point of entry, and he mentions Renfield as um, his predecessor. Yes. Then you get the lead into Jack's perspective, Mm because obviously Jack is now treating Renfield. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool how they all kind of 
piece together because obviously Jonathan keeps going on about Mina, mm-hmm. rightfully so. And everybody loves Mina, the book. That's it. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the book. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you get the established thing of of Mina, and then uh, Renfield as a character is set up, and then you get the names of the places that Dracula is buying that Jonathan's sorting out. So when you know that you're in Whippy, and you know that you're next to Carfax, like the the, the asylum or the mm-hmm. sanatorium is 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 next to Carfax, so. You've got these places established, like, in London and, and with me. So, yeah, Jonathan is your point of entry in terms of both meeting Dracula and branching out into the wider cast of characters. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, once you get to Mina, you get Lucy, and then you get Lucy's boyfriends, and then you get mm-hmm. Jack, and Jack gives you Van Helsing. And speaking of all of these people, let's... Yeah, let's talk about some characters. Because yeah. this is such a character-driven story, and I... I, I always love a good character-driven story. You? <laughs> <laughs> I Controversially, uh, I don't really care about plot that much. <laughs> I just like characters, mm-hmm. and character-driven things are my favorite. And Dracula is very much character-driven. Mm-hmm. And you get, like, you get these great fleshed-out characters through their own words, through the words of others. It's so great. Dracula is such a good book. Yeah. I know lots of people like to talk about how the classics are dry and boring and we don't really need to read the classics anymore. But like you should read Dracula. Yeah. It's so much fun. Truly. I will I will admit there are classics that are tough to get through. Mm-hmm. Dracula is not one of them. It nope. is so much fun the whole time. The whole time I'm having fun. It's great. It's so great. But yes, I There is a cowboy. There is a cowboy there. We'll get there. <laughs> we will get to, we will get to your cowboy. I would like to talk first though cuz we talked about Jonathan being the first one you speak to mm. and then you get letters between Mina and Lucy mm-hmm. next. And I love Lucy. I am a Lucy <laughs> apologist. I think Lucy did nothing wrong nope. and I think that Lucy should have three husbands if she wants three husbands. I think that should be allowed. As does she. Yes. I'm just saying that I agree with her, and I think that we should just let her do what she wants. To quote Lucy directly. Yes. Why can't they let a girl marry three men, or as many as want her, and save all this trouble? Right? Preach. I think Lucy should have three husbands. I do too. I think that Lucy should just be allowed. <laughs> and, and a wife. Yeah. Yeah, because Lucy and Mina are in love too. Mm-hmm. It's just a big polycule that just has, happens to have to deal with a vampire. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your polycule has to come together and fight a vampire. And it'd be that way. Sometimes. <laughs> Common problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the, it happens. It's on the subreddit for, for poly, <laughs> polyamorous relationships. <laughs> oh, God. What a horrible place. <laughs> Truly. I mean, I've never been on that subreddit. But you I'm know just, that it's I just all. know that it's a yeah. horrible place. <laughs> yeah, because you have the the letter where she gets her th- three proposals like mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same day and has I to... remember reading that at like I I was sitting in a, an armchair with my legs over the side because I'm bisexual and I can't sit straight mm-hmm. um and I had a glass of wine and I was just sitting there reading this and I was like god you go girl mm-hmm. I know something horrible is gonna happen later but man you live your life I just think Lucy should have everything she's great I I really enjoy that you get like it's Stoker's, he's not the best when it comes to 
women and like oh yeah i'm i'm not saying he intended for lucy to be the best no i'm just saying like he he has some weird misogynistic lines at times like he has things about you know when lucy's getting proposed to and turning down quincy and how like well he takes it and she's like crying and she's like, oh, men are so wonderful and brilliant and, and don't deserve oh, women, you know. Like, and yeah. I, some of that I don't... It reads, honestly, as some internalized homophobia. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I was saying, like, it doesn't necessarily read as misogynistic as, as so much as him being like, men are great. Women, yeah. like, I don't really understand why people make such a big deal over women when men are clearly superior. And it's sort of like... Bram. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I get where people are coming from with that, but it feels to me like somebody who is struggling very much with internalized homophobia. Yeah. And again, that's just us speculating, but I think as as somebody who spent a long time being an idiot uh, about <laughs> her own sexual orientation, it reads like there's something you know about yourself, but you don't want to know it, and so you displace it and make it something else. Mm-hmm. And... Listen, Bram, my guy, I, I would just like to speak to him a little bit. Um, I mean, maybe Walton Oscar did. I don't know. It's yeah, just maybe, not the best maybe, time. Yeah, maybe he was fully aware of this and was just hiding it. And you know what? Fine. Times were times. I, I really do love, despite all of the, you know, valid criticisms of the way that he writes women. I mm-hmm. just love that you have this such strong relationship <laughs> That is at the forefront of the action. Mm-hmm. Like the plot is largely driven by that relationship that everybody has with Lucy. But Lucy and Mina are the main driving points mm-hmm. of the plot, really. Their friendship and their love for each other. And I really enjoy it in terms of Lucy being a rich girl. Yeah. I don't think she's titled, but Arthur no. Arthur is a lord. Yes. Well, his becomes a lord in <laughs> yes he he's not a lord immediately but um his dad dies in the yeah in the i was book. just trying to remember if his father dies right before lucy i think so because that's when, when he's away is when dealing with that is when like quincy and jack do the transfusions because because arthur doesn't know about right because arthur's away at his father's funeral yeah and he comes back as lord godalming yeah um but yeah, so Lucy is somebody of social standing at a level where she has a holiday home in Whitby. Yeah. And <laughs> that she can invite Mina to and is a suitable prospect for a lord. Yes. Whereas Mina is... Mina's a teacher, is Mina's a teacher, yeah. yeah. Wait, I don't... If she's not a teacher, she's aspiring to be. And like she, Although she would knows, she have been a teacher after she married um, Jonathan? She does plan on working still. Because oh, okay. I mean, I know he's a solicitor, but he's not. Yeah, that's the <laughs> the working class thing is that Lucy doesn't have to lift a finger, of course, but mm-hmm. Mina will probably still have to, won't she? Yeah, and like she knows shorthand, mm-hmm. um, and that again is a plot point. Yes, I love that thing where she gives um, Van Helsing. The, the diary, is it? I thought she had copied... She's copied Jonathan's... Yeah, she copied jo- Jonathan's journal mm-hmm. in shorthand. And she hands it to him. That's when he's like, oh, you're so clever woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Such a normal thing to say. Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of Van Helsing... Oh, did we have more to say about Van Helsing? I've already said multiple times. He's just a weird little dude. And that's, <laughs> that's really all I had to say at this moment. Because we're going to talk about adaptations. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about... 
human-specific adaptations. But I would just like to say, like, in the book, I just treasure what a weird little dude he is. He's delightful. And it's it's just so valid of Jack to be like, I have, I'm a doctor, I have no idea what is going on with Lucy, but I know this guy who's just a weird little dude, maybe. This, there's a weird little thing happening, and I know a weird little dude, <laughs> so I'm going to write him a letter so the weird little dude can come deal with this weird little thing. Mm-hmm. Works out well. <laughs> what a great book. So good. <laughs> this is such a good book. If you haven't read Dracula, you really should. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. You will have so much fun. You do get at least one thing from all of these people we've mentioned perspective like be it a letter or a telegram or something Mm -hmm. obviously you get more from mina and jonathan and jack i would say are the main three that you get yes for sure um because you've got jack's um phonograph recordings and you've got mina and jonathan's diaries and mina's letters Mm -hmm. but you do have telegrams from van helsing and Mm -hmm. from arthur letters from lucy Um, i think there's some of lucy's journal as well i think there is a little bit yeah the other main character and um my favorite speaking of this book being really really fun and you should read it there's a whole ass cowboy in it there's a cowboy in it (laughs) and i for the life of me don't know why adaptations leave him out so often he's great i fucking love quincy (laughs) it's it's baffling to me from a writing perspective mm-hmm. because Quincy is so important to the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, Jonathan and Mina name their child after him. That's clearly somebody of importance, mm-hmm. not only to these characters, but to the story. Yeah. And he is the only other person who has any experience of blood drinkers. Like, yes. He's the only person who knows anything about this because he talks about being in the Pampas and... He had to shoot his horse because vampire bats had drained it of blood and he had to put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the bit where everyone's just talking and like some, I can't remember whose perspective it's in. The, I think there's a mention of a bat. There's a mention of Quincy leaving and then a gun goes off and they're like, what the fuck? And he's like, yeah, I just there was a huge ass bat and I shot it. <laughs> it's just like, what a guy. <laughs> like, how could you leave that scene out? That is comedic gold. It's so good. They're all like, going, oh, I wonder what could be going on. It's such a problem. Oh, oh, woe is Quincy's up. just like, excuse me for a minute. <laughs> Let me get my gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so great. He is just walking around armed at all times. He's very cool, too. Like... With with Lucy having turned him down, he's still around and he's still helping and he's still like, I think you're a cool person. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be yeah. all messed up about this. I, you're in trouble and I care about you and I want to help you. I feel like the reason that you don't get Quincy in a lot of adaptations is because he's not in the play. Yes. So moving away from the novel to talk about adaptations... Mm-hmm. Uh, The first way that it was adapted was for the stage. Mm -hmm. Actually, the very first stage adaptation was written by Bram Stoker, and it was performed shortly before the novel's release, and I believe only performed once, just to establish copyright. So he Mm -hmm. would have the copyright for further plays. The stage adaptations, the later ones not written by Bram Stoker, change a lot about the book, which you would have to do to adapt it for the stage. I get that. But... The plays, how do I say this? They're bad. (laughs) (laughs) They make bad choices and they're bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. That said, I would still kill to have a time machine and go back and watch some of the stage adaptations because there have been some fantastic Draculas. Yeah. Obviously, Bela Lugosi mm-hmm. was on stage as Dracula before he was in the film. Mm-hmm. Frank Langella was also Dracula on Broadway before he yeah. was... In the 77 revival. Yes. Before the 79 adaptation. And when he uh, left to do the film he was replaced with Raul Julia who is just my favorite and it kills me that I cannot see him as Dracula ever because he was never in a filmed version of it but I love him and I would I would kill to see because he was also uh, well Frank Langella and Raul Julia were in the version that had sets designed by Edward Gorey who I adore so that would have just been a dream but I do want to say story-wise, I, I do not fuck with the, the play. No. <laughs> Raul and Frank, the one that they were in was the revised version. Yes. Uh, the Balderston one, which has Lucy. Yeah, so they, instead of having Lucy and Mina, <laughs> we have merged them into one person. Uh, and that one person is Jack's daughter. Yeah. So. And she's Jonathan's fiance. Yeah. In, in that one because she's also Mina. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, it's just... But yeah, but yeah it's, so, it's... like, because most adaptations use the stage script, the changes that the plays made have lived in many of the film adaptations, which yeah. is very annoying because they're simply bad changes. <laughs> I do a lot of adapting things. I write fairy tale retellings. I write mythology retellings. I do a lot of adaptation. When I sit down to adapt something, when I'm outlining, every change I make has to make narrative sense. Like, you have to sit there with each bullet point and say, why does this change need to happen? Why does this need to be the way it is? Even looking at the original, like, why, why is the original the way it is? And if it shouldn't be that way, what should I change it to and why? Mm -hmm. These are not questions that the play (laughs) (laughs) has put into their script. I understand that sometimes you make adaptations for the medium. Yeah, like a lot they've, of them... they've condensed the cast because the cast in the book is very large mm-hmm. and it's just simpler to have a smaller cast on stage. I get that. It doesn't make narrative sense, though. The way they've done it is narratively insane. <laughs> it just, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't preserve anything good about the story and it doesn't add anything good either. It's just nonsensical. Yeah. It's like, well, there's two women and we only need one. And then she's got to be related to everybody because uh, Lucy and Mina had some sort of interaction with everyone. So we'll make her some guy's daughter and someone else's fiance and we'll just cut the third one because we don't need (laughs) we don't need that many people on stage. Like these are not narratively thought through adaptations Mm. and it bugs me. Because I understand why films would say, ah, look, a play adaptation. We don't have to do any work. We'll just take this and film it because it's the easy thing to do. However, it sucks and it's stupid and I hate it. (laughs) Another change that it makes besides the crime of omitting Quincy. Yeah. It all takes place in England. The 31 film has a Transylvania bit at the beginning. Yes, but I believe they put that back in because... Mm with film it's easier to do that yeah. on stage i see where it's more difficult to start in a transylvania set and then somehow convey that this 
journey back to England takes place. Yeah, and, and then we don't get the Transylvania chase sequence at the end either, which I know. again I understand is difficult to do on stage, but it's so fun. It's great. It's just this continental trans-European race. Like, they're, Dracula's on a ship, and they're like, how can we beat him back? So they take the train, and, like, he gets off in a different port than they expected, and yeah. they have to reroute, and... Um, it's so cool. It's, it's so much fun. And I see why you why it's difficult to put that on stage. And, again, it is important to have all of Lucy's husbands, yes. because you have Arthur bankrolling this mission yeah that's the thing is like once you start messing with who the characters are that impacts the plot because all of this money they have to do all these things comes from arthur so if arthur is not arthur then where does the money come from Mm. i'm just saying like you gotta you just gotta think about things did Dottie frere teach us nothing (laughs) There have been other stage adaptations, which I haven't seen all of these. Tragically. Um, There's the musical. There are two versions of the musical. There's a 2001 version, and I think there's a 2010 Swedish version. Swedish? Yeah. Oh. I believe both of them still include Quincy, and therefore are immediately valid, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, Or more valid than they would be otherwise. I was going to say, I would like to see more notes, but the the inclusion of Quincy is promising, I will agree. That is a a big point in your favour. Like, it's a a musical, and you've kept in the cowboy. Does Quincy get a song? I hope so. Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice for him. I hope he gets to sing a song. About shooting a bat. Yeah. (laughs) The 2001 version was taken to Japan and performed by the uh, Takarazuka Review, which is an all-female troupe. And I, I would like to see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, there there are at least photos. Mm-hmm. And there are a few, I'm sure I've seen a few YouTube videos yeah. of uh, certain musical numbers. But uh, the main thing is that Dracula is a hot lady. and She sure is. And that's great <laughs> for us. Yeah. Hot Lady Dracula in her leather pants can bite me any night. Mm-hmm. Leather Pants Draco is out. Leather Pants Dracula is in. You heard it from us, folks. We're, we're the taste makers. <laughs> we're making the taste. <laughs> <laughs> there is a version which we have seen, which is the ballet. Yes. Uh, Northern Ballet did a production a few years back, and it was televised. The ballet was... It's beautiful. Like, we love ballet, yeah. and it, as a ballet, it is very beautiful. It makes some character choices that I don't care for, but Dracula's hot, and I'm always here for hot ballet dancers, so... Yeah. The guy who was playing old Dracula... Was at the so good! The physicality of his dancing, yeah. his performance is incredible, like, because you have to be able to get across character and, and story through dance alone like you don't have the dialogue to back Mm -hmm. you up you know so there's the makeup the costumes and then the choreography is all that you have but his physicality is incredible it's because you've got to have like there's the weird shit where like dracula's climbing down the wall like moves like a he's described as moving like a lizard down the wall and this guy has very reptilian movement 
Yes, I had to look up his name because I would like to say yes. Riku Ito yes. was the old Dracula. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was so, so good. And we just wanted to shout that out because that yeah. was fantastic. And it is because in the book, the way that Dracula moves is so vividly described. It's really cool to see that in a ballet. Mm -hmm. It's just an excellent format for getting that physicality across. Also, young Dracula was hot. I know I said that already. I would just like to point out. Yes, he was. <laughs> there is another version of Dracula that we have tragically not seen. And all I can say is if you know where to get a possibly illicit copy of this, please gib because we need we need it um, to give to the proper authorities. Mm -hmm. Wink. Um, We're the proper authorities. <laughs> we are the proper authorities. Um, it's called The Lord of Cries, and it is a mashup of Dracula and Euripides the Bacchae. Um, Which is just... <laughs> it's so specifically targeted to us that I'm kind of offended that we haven't already been sent a copy of it. Like, my guy, you clearly made this for us. Yeah. Why, why haven't you... We are the... Who else is the target audience <laughs> if not us? It only came out last year. Yeah. It's... An opera. It was um, composed by John Corigliano. Um, who is gay, and the libretto was written by his partner, Marco Damo. So you have Dracula, Dionysus, written by a queer couple. We need that. We need it. I'm so glad it exists. It blows my mind. I need to have it. Please send it to me. If you're listening, John, we would love to give you money for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> please, please, Gib. We need it in our lives. But also, if it is not available for money anywhere, if anybody knows yeah, you, anything, you should please. let us know about that so we can... So we can report it, mm -hmm. wink. From the stage, as we have said, a lot of the film adaptations use the stage play. Um, there were several films even before the Bela Lugosi mm -hmm. one, which I had seen credited um, the Hungarian silent film The Death of Dracula mm -hmm. as the first Dracula film adaptation in 1921, uh, which does not exist anymore. Yeah. That one has not survived. Probably the most famous uh, pre-Bela one mm -hmm is Nosferatu from 1922. Which we are very, very lucky to have any kind of copies of because as... <laughs> Good uh, old Florence. Yeah. Yeah, the, the thing is that somebody somewhere made a mistake in alerting Florence to the existence of Nosferatu, which I can't remember if it says it's a Dracula adaptation or if it just is a Dracula adaptation and they didn't say anything about it. It's been a while since I last saw None it. None of the characters have the names of the characters in the book. That's true. But the it plot is, is... Yeah, it is the same story. <laughs> They've just changed all the names. And it... Florence Stoker did successfully sue and all of the copies were meant to be destroyed. Obviously, they were not, because we have it today. Yes, it is up in its entirety on YouTube. Yeah. Is it public domain now? I believe so, yeah. Cool. Whoops. Sorry, Florence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, German expressionism is great. Nosferatu is actually the first thing that really has sunlight being lethal yes. to vampires. And it works in the film to have, you know, the dawn come and the vampire defeated yes. by the dawn. And I think uh, it specifically works as a German expressionist thing because yeah. so much of that is the interplay between light and dark. Yeah, the chiaroscuro. Yes. I can't pronounce it as well, so I'll just let you do that. But it, it makes sense that the first kind of film 
to do that would mm. be a German expressionist one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because in, in Dracula itself, we see him walking around in daylight. Mm-hmm. Like, he's... He's like, low power, he's but like, he's still he's, fine. He's running on battery saver mode. Different laws. Yeah, and there are, again, there are other laws where they're awake, but it will they will burst into flame. If yeah. In the sunlight. Dracula just prefers to move around at night. He's stronger at night. It's his more his domain, but he can move around in the day to pass as human and mm-hmm. like make these interactions with people that he does in his introductions to people. Nosferatu is the first thing where it's lethal. I, I Another thing I really love, I think that the silent film medium mm-hmm. is really well suited to the epistolary format. Yeah. Because you have like newspaper clippings. You don't have dialogue, you have text on screen. So they can just put up a little newspaper clipping and it, it kind of holds that together or like a shot of somebody's letter yeah you know and it's really it's a very nice way of doing that you called it earlier found footage thing and i would love to see a modern dracula adaptation that is a found footage Mm -hmm. thing it's just continuing the grand gothic tradition Mm -hmm. so legal adaptation oh right (laughs) um, approved adaptation Uh was made in 1931 mm-hmm. with of course Bela Lugosi as Dracula and here we here we go here is where I turn into uh, Charlie Day and it's always sunny in Philadelphia and I've got my little conspiracy board <laughs> behind me <laughs> I have so. just refilled my glass <laughs> um, I am here for the ride <laughs> <laughs> okay so here's the thing here's my thesis Dracula adaptations seem to come around following or accompanying panics about immigration. The Immigration Act of 1924 in the U.S. restricted immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe um, because people were panicking about all, largely the Italians uh, and Eastern Europeans Mm -hmm. who were uh, coming into America and, I don't know, stealing your jobs or whatever. I all these sexy Italians with their great food. Well, that's the thing. So I'm actually going to bring up Rudolph Valentino mm-hmm. here, uh, which is kind of out of left field, but stay with me on this. Mm-hmm. So Rudolph Valentino, around this time, he died before this film was made. Yeah. I want to say... Tw- 24? 26. 26. Okay. Yes, but he was famous as uh, a sexy Italian man who's coming for your girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a lot of the time he was cast as a... Middle Eastern man for um, reasons that we simply don't have time to get into. But, mm-hmm. but like there was this panic in popular culture at the time of people like Rudolph Valentino, these immigrants who are, you know, dark and exotic and mm-hmm. and sexy, and they're a threat to the American way and the normal American man who is not, you know, Italian. Um, or, but like just generally, there was this fear of immigrants as a sexual threat to normal American guys. And as we covered last time, uh, another very popular sexual threat in the world is a vampire. So the two kind of come together in Dracula. And I do believe that if Rudolph Valentino hadn't died, he would have been the pick for the 1931 Dracula. Mm -hmm. That's complete speculation on my part. Like there was... There's so much of Hollywood at the time, like between Valentino's death and the making of this movie, that 
It could have gone any which way, honestly. Yeah. But I do think that it makes sense for Rudolph Valentino to have been considered for Dracula had mm. he lived, because the same sort of thinking that inspired the casting of Bela Lugosi was also kind of happening with Rudolph Valentino. Like I said, the Immigration Act of 1924 mm. was largely because people were terrified of immigrants from Europe, specifically Southern and Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Southern being where Rudolph Valentino was from, Eastern being where Bela Lugosi was from. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about Bela Lugosi because I love him. Um, Me too. He's the best. I love him so much. And I'm simply not here for people who aren't here for Bela Lugosi, of which there are a shocking amount in yeah. this, the year of our Lord Dionysus, 2022. But you know what? We'll get to that. Because the first thing I'm going to say is uh, biographical stuff about Bela Lugosi, because <laughs> he's a cool dude. Bela Lugosi was born in what was at the time the Kingdom of Hungary. Obviously, it's correct to refer to him as Hungarian. He certainly thought of himself as Hungarian. I just thought it was interesting uh, that the city in which he was born is no longer in Hungary. <laughs> it is actually now in Romania. Um, Bela Lugosi, actually, Lugosi is a stage name, and he took that from the city uh, in which he was born, which was at the time in Hungary and mm -hmm. is now in Romania. So, fun facts. He was an actor in Hungary, uh, and then there was a revolution, and because he was a socialist, he had to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, so he went to Weimar, Germany, which... Went equally well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was very successful there for a while. I, I, very successful is probably not the word. He was doing all right yeah. in Weimar, Germany. Uh, and then it then it wasn't going all right in Germany, was it? So he, uh, he, he had to leave. Another just fun fact is that uh, the way he made his way to America was he hopped on a ship. I think it was a cargo ship that was headed for New Orleans. And so he, he found himself in New Orleans and then made his way up to Ellis Island from New Orleans. But he did go there first. Delightful. So. Isn't it? It's a, it's a very small world. Yep. And <laughs> but it's yes. full of vampires. And it's full of vampires. <laughs> so in his earlier films in Hungary and to an extent in Weimar, Germany, mm. Bela had been a romantic lead. I will post the pictures of him as an actor in Hungary and Germany because he was fine. Yeah. He was a snack. Listen, Bela Lugosi was fucking sexy and I am simply going to be horny <laughs> on main about it. <laughs> but yeah, he had played a romantic lead basically his entire career mm -hmm. and he went into Hollywood with that same expectation. He expected to continue doing the roles that he had been doing all of his acting life. And that mindset really informed his performance of Dracula as well. Mm -hmm. He did not play Dracula as a monster. He played Dracula as a romantic lead because that's how he saw himself mm -hmm. and that's how he saw Dracula. And if you look at some of the press that uh, Universal had him do for Dracula. Like, some of it was certainly scripted by Universal for him, but I don't think he hated it, to be honest. I think he was fully on board with at least 75% of the things that he was scripted to say. And some of it, I think, came from him. Well, I mean, he'd done the stage version beforehand yes. and had been very well received. Yes. 
by <laughs> by the public. Yes, he he talks in interviews about the the reception specifically from women, but he says there were men also who mm-hmm. were hot for Dracula. Yeah, uh, and of course they were. Have you seen Bela Lugosi? <laughs> <laughs> he is a snack. And uh, yeah, so that's my Bela Lugosi <laughs> rant is uh, he's sexy, but also like he is playing Dracula as a romantic lead. And I think that his performance is just delicious. He is he's having so much fun and it, it really set off the whole universal monster trend yeah. and a wider trend of monster horror mm-hmm. in the 30s. But it was it was because he played the monster as a romantic character that it became really popular partially because as i said he's a snack but partially because of his performance like he was not intending to come across as this hulking boris karloff horror yeah he he was attempting to seduce he was attempting to make himself desirable mm-hmm. And for my money, he succeeded. And for the money of many, many people. (laughs) I cannot stress this enough. You may have heard other podcasts where they are like, for some reason, Bella Lugosi was really attractive and popular with certain demographics. I'm not a coward. And I'm here to tell you that people were horny for Bella Lugosi and they should have been. Mm -hmm. That's this podcast's (laughs) stance. But uh, we can talk about other things about the movie too. I watched the Spanish Dracula, um, which for those of you who don't know, it was a very common practice for Hollywood studios to make foreign language versions of their films um, using the same sets and costumes Mm -hmm. and scripts. Uh, They just let them film it at night. (laughs) Yeah. The Spanish Dracula is one of the few of those that actually survived. Um, We don't really have copies of other versions of these films. In the Spanish one, a lot of people hold it up as superior um, because they did have the advantage of being able to look at the the dailies from the Todd Browning film and sort of maybe see where they could work things a bit better. And, and having watched it, like, I do think it does some really interesting things. It has editing issues. <laughs> I feel like some of the effects work better. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot slicker in certain parts. Like, the thing with the reflection... It's quite clunky in the yeah. Todd Browning one, like where it sort of cuts between Van Helsing looking in the mirror and then looking back and then looking in the mirror and then looking back. Yeah. Whereas it just has this quite simple thing of Van Helsing looking, seeing Eva, Mina, yeah. ra- like her hand raise to nothing. Yeah. And then she look, he looks back and um, Dracula's kissing her hand. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a much simpler visual way to establish that he is not reflecting than the Todd Browning film does it. But for me, Carlos uh, Villarias is not, he's not Bela. (laughs) Like the the Dracula is not as good. Like he doesn't have the same kind of thrall. Like when he's trying to do like the eyes and the thrall thing, it just kind of looks goofy on him. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work as well. Yeah. Like people will talk about Bela's speaking of his own performance as kind of like narcissistic but he has a point you do have to have this certain quality about Mm -hmm. you in order to play this character and bela has that character he has that charisma and you know some people just don't 
like I said at the top, we we're not going to cover no. every single. We absolutely. <laughs> with, this is not a run a chronological rundown of every Dracula. We're going to skip ahead uh, to 1958, and the and, uh, the British film uh, studio Hammer. Yes. <laughs> Christopher Lee. I think for most people, if Bela is not your Dracula, Christopher Lee is. Yeah. And that's valid. Christopher Lee is a fantastic Dracula. Like, you want to talk about somebody who's got charisma. Yeah, you want to talk about sexy Draculas? Bam! Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee is a sexy Dracula. And you know who's a sexy Van Helsing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's Peter Cushing. Oh, my God. I can't... (laughs) The thing... Okay, I don't want to talk about Stephen Moffat very much. Because... We hate him. We hate him. Um, But... I don't believe that he has seen this Dracula because if your stance is that Van Helsing and Dracula have to be a man and a woman to have sexual tension, you simply have not watched Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in this film. And if you have, and you still have that opinion, what's wrong with you? Don't answer that. But like, the sexual tension between Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing is the best thing about this film. It is so good. I mean, I think it's more prevalent in the sequels. because That's, that's yeah, fair. Because it goes on and it becomes like the arch nemesis and fellas. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything gayer than having an arch nemesis? I mean, <laughs> come on. Just the, the perfect homoerotic tension of mm-hmm. having an arch nemesis. Truly. Um, but I do think it's present in the 1958 film. Yeah, it's there. It's just that in, they don't interact as much in it. Like when they do there mm-hmm. but it's it's much more of a thing in the sequel the director okay. of um the 1958 was it was terence fish of a director i don't know yeah i believe so i can double check that yeah i'm pretty sure um but he he said and this is a direct quote my greatest contribution to the dracula myth was to bring out the underlying sexual element in the story my guy i don't know how to tell you this but that was text that was not subtext that was text. You don't get a medal. And like, what it is, is Bella Erasure. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. Like, yes, Christopher Lee is sexy. Mm-hmm. Yes, the 1958 Hammer film is a very sexy film. If you are trying to tell me that the 1931 film is not also sexy, you are wrong. If you are trying to tell me that Dracula in its original book format is not a sexy book, you are wrong. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to tell me that vampires from their inception (laughs) have not been about sex, you are simply wrong. So no, Terrence Fisher, you don't get a medal. Good day, sir. I said good day. Shall we move on? (laughs) I was just going to say... <laughs> oh, did you have something? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might end up getting cut. But um, the difference I feel is between sexiness and horniness. Yes. Like the 58 film is horny on me. It absolutely is. And the 31 film isn't horny, but it is sexy. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a subtle difference that a straight person. <laughs> yeah. Like, straight men don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe it escapes you Terence Fisher but there is a difference between sexy and horny and what you did was horny yeah and that's fine and it's valid and I'm grateful for it but I'm not here for 
Bella Erasure. Mm -hmm. I'm simply not. This one is fun to watch because of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Yeah. I don't care for the story. (laughs) Because it's the play again, and I don't like the play. But it's still fun to watch. I'm glad Mm -hmm. that I live in the timeline that gets Christopher Lee as Dracula. Yes. So, going back to Universal Studios. Yes. After the Broadway revival Mm -hmm. uh, in 1977 Mm -hmm. of the revised Balderston version of the play... Universal made another Dracula movie, this time in colour, with uh, Frank Langella, again harking back to using the stage Dracula that they did with Bella. This mm-hmm. one has uh, Frank. It's it's good for it's what it's fine. It, like for what it is. Like again, it's based on a version of the play that I simply do not fuck with. Honestly, I think if it if it was presented to me as something that wasn't Dracula and it was just about some vampire coming and seducing. Yeah, I think that's that's the problem with most Dracula adaptations is that I know I love the book and I hate the plays. And so when I get something that's based on the plays, which most adaptations are, I just am disappointed that it's not the book. <laughs> yeah. Lucy is incredibly valid. Like Yes. It's I'm, great. I'm, I do like Lucy in this one. I just don't like that she is who she is because yeah. she's the play version of Lucy. Again, if it if it had a different name and was like presented as an original story, yeah. which it could have been because Dracula's public domain. Nobody can say anything if you're influenced yeah. by Dracula. Florence can't find you now. <laughs> <laughs> but things that I I do like the the visuals of it are great. Like absolutely it's beautiful. It's really gorgeous. Very late seventies. Like oh the, yes, um, God, that I—that's my problem. Is I cannot get over Frank Langella's hair. <laughs> I can't get over the hair. I understand that you know it's the seventies and that's a thing, but like I personally, in in twenty twenty two, cannot get over it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what do you mean you don't think Dracula with a perm is sexy? <laughs> Uh, you know somebody out there will go to bat for frank langella the way i will go to bat for bela lugosi Mm -hmm. and you know what fine i appreciate the visuals and i appreciate the horniness Mm -hmm. again being horny on maine is a valid choice yes i really like that there are people with yorkshire accents yes yes because so often you know, I, I think, was it was it an adaptation of Dracula that somebody was like, Whitby is near London? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but like, in, in a lot of adaptations, they do just have RP <laughs> accents. Either they don't mention Whitby specifically, or if they do, they don't acknowledge that it's in North Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I cannot actually think of another adaptation that has... The people of Whitby with Yorkshire accents. Truly, it's great. It's just so good to hear, like the Demeter, like wreckage, and like all the like the police and the fishermen and everybody all have Yorkshire accents, and it's great. And that's the other thing is, is it wasn't shot in Whitby; it was shot in Cornwall. Yeah, but you still get that kind of coastal small town yes flavor, and and it's great. As we mentioned before, not enough things use that; they don't make use of the seaside location. Yeah. Like, the dramatic cliff tops and like the storm that brings the ship in with Dracula on it. <sighs> yeah, there is a whole conversation to be had about seaside gothic. 
that we just don't have time for here. <laughs> we'll maybe get to it another time. Yeah. But like that's such a the the setting of that matters actually to the story mm -hmm. and it adds something. And so when you take that away, it can still be fine. It just is missing something for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Um, so I will give a big old tick to the 79 version mm -hmm. for having the the dramatic seaside location. Yes. Like the cemetery on the cliffside. Because again, like use that yeah use it please please use it we will put photos of our trip to whitby in the in the, in notes. the notes yeah so you can see like what people are not using <laughs> yeah because you should use it mm -hmm. we're gonna jump ahead uh to 1992 bram stoker's dracula I love Bela, and Bela is my Dracula, mm -hmm. but 1992 is my Dracula film. Yes. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula is, if I want to watch Dracula, this is the film I want to watch. It yeah. is so good. It is so good. It's, it's, y'all, it's so good. <laughs> I love this movie. I love like, everything about this movie. Like, people make a lot of fun of it. Like, they make fun of the accents and things in it, but... And they make, they make a lot of fun of uh, Gary Oldman's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> but he's having a blast. And, and that's what? what you need to do. I am having a blast watching him. I, I love I love everything about this mm -hmm. Dracula. First of all, first of all, it is not based on the play. Yes. It goes back to the book, which is why it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula, so you know you don't have any of the play bullshit <laughs> to deal with. This is the book. And I love that. They use the epistolary format, and they use it so well. You get Jack Seward's phonograph yeah you like, get mina typing up her shorthand mm -hmm. like oh my god i love it so much it's such a little thing but it's and you get jonathan doing the voiceover for his journal and mm -hmm. his letters to mina and like you, oh you i have, love it you have the bit on like the like 16 millimeter film yeah uh, when like dracula is walking around in london through the day and like it's talking about the, the new cinematograph yeah <laughs> um it's great Oh, it's so great. And this film is so beautiful. Really like, is. because we're not stuck with the plays bullshit anymore, we get to go back to Transylvania. Yes. Um, and we have the opening in the castle, and oh, it's so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end, we get, we get the, the, the chase train scene. chase. Yeah. We get the train chase across Europe. Back to Transylvania. It's so cool. And they make, like, the, the sky outside, the train yeah. window. Like, you can see Dracula's eyes. Like his eyes it. watching Oh, it's so good. All of the choices <laughs> in this film are so good. I just, little tiny things that are in the book that don't usually make it into adaptations uh -huh. as well. Like, the ring of blue flame mm -hmm. that Jonathan sees outside the carriage. Yeah. Obviously, you get the wolves and things. Yeah. But... Back to werewolf vampires. Yeah. Which were in, like, that's a thing in the book, is he uses the werewolf vampire lore. And the control of the weather. That yeah. doesn't always come up. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, when he's, when Mina goes back to Jonathan, and obviously in this version, which we will discuss, it has the um, Dracula-Mina romantic aspect to mm -hmm. it. Um, but you have him sending the howling winds as, like, sort of a pathetic fallacy kind of thing <clears> where he's emotionally distraught and he sends the storm mm -hmm. you know to yeah his emotion yeah which is great it's so good um, yeah the cinematography is just outstanding mm -hmm. the costumes are so uh, beautiful yes 
the costumes were done by Aiko Ishioka, mm-hmm. um, whose work is just beautiful. Like there, there are films I don't like that she's done the costumes for. Yeah. And the costumes are just incredible. And like I, I will actually engage with that film just to look at her costumes. Yeah. They're so good. But I also, I love this film, and the costumes are fantastic, mm-hmm. so win-win. Mm-hmm. This film goes in on the um, Vlad the Impaler Yeah, which thing. is, it's, so that's not actually a Bram Stoker thing. Um, nothing in his notes suggests anything more than using the name of Dracula. He did not intend, as far as we can tell, an inference to Vlad the Third. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. that's not really a thing. But the way that they use it in this film is really cool, and I like it, so I'll let it go. That's all I had to say about that. <laughs> the casting in this film. Like, as you I, said, people make fun of like Gary Oldman, but I really like Gary Oldman as Dracula. Oh, he's, he's hilarious and great. And he's I, great. He's, he's having a great time. Um, there are some not great stories about him that came off the set. Yeah. But, but that's a whole lot of it. The, the thing is, though... I will give him credit as an actor. Like, he is good mm-hmm. at doing weird, goofy stuff and doing serious, like, playing villains and as well as playing, um, like, earnest and romantic things mm-hmm. as well. And like, I think that combination works really well for Dracula. Yeah, because um, you've got him playing old Dracula, mm-hmm. being, like, a weird old guy. That Jonathan's just like, huh, what a weird old guy. European ast- arist- <laughs> aristocrats sure are goofy. <laughs> like... What strange customs you have. And then you have him being, you know, the romantic lead, but also being a threat. Yeah. You know. I think Keanu Reeves is perfect. Full stop. But I also... I was going to say that end of sentence. (laughs) End of sentence. I agree. (laughs) Uh, But I also think he is the perfect Jonathan. Because actually, I don't like most Jonathans. No. Like... (laughs) Because they try to make it, like in the 1931... Uh, film Jonathan is trying to be this like quintessential English hero yeah and that's not who Jonathan is <laughs> as a person and then again in the 58 one mm-hmm. he's going there knowing that Dracula is a vampire like he dies right away yeah <laughs> like in in the 58 film like yeah. he goes with the knowledge that he's a, a vampire to try and destroy the vampire that's yeah. not Jonathan Harker Jonathan Harker is a himbo. Jonathan Harker is a sweet little himbo who just loves his wife and would like to go home and have some goulash <laughs> <laughs> that Mina cooked specifically. Yes. Um, and and Keanu Reeves gets that vibe perfectly. It's just chef's kiss. Yes. He's it's perfect. Wonderful. And I, I love him. And this could just go into a 10 minute round about how much I love Keanu Reeves, but it won't. Um <laughs> Not even for the outtakes reel. <laughs> <laughs> it's it suffices to say that the only Jonathan that I care about is Keanu Reeves' Jonathan. And do you know what? Like, I don't give a shit. Like his is his accent perfect? No. But no. is it terrible? It's not Maybe. it's not the worst. It's yeah, it's not the worst. It's not the best. But you know what? The accent I don't really care about because he got the character right yeah. and that's that's what I care about. In this and in this seventy nine one, Trevor Eve is just a goob. I just I, hate him. I do not like him. I was so upset every time he was on screen. I was like, I don't know who that man is, but he is not my Jonathan. No, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is my Jonathan. Yes. Um Quincy's in this one. Yes! 
<laughs> yes, perfect, beautiful cowboy. Yes. I love him. He is perfect. Like, this this is the perfect Quincy, too. Yes. I don't actually know the actor's name. I can look it up real quick. Billy, Billy Campbell. Campbell. Oh, as Bill Campbell. Anyway, Quincy's there. We love Quincy. Quincy P. Morris. Mm-hmm. What does the P stand for? Perfect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's he's great. And I'm just so glad that he's there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that. it's such a low bar. Just have him be there. But also, like, he gets to... He, he really shines in the chase sequence. Yes, yeah. Which is where Quincy shines in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and the bat shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, like... When you lose the chase sequence and you lose Quincy, you lose so much of yeah. the narrative mm-hmm. and it sucks. So I'm glad this one has Quincy and the chase and it's great. Mm-hmm. Also, Tom Waits is here. I know! <laughs> <laughs> Truly, Tom Waits as Renfield, like, inspired casting. It's so unfortunate because I, like, we'll, we'll talk about upcoming adaptations, but... Anyone else who has to follow Tom Waits, like, damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> We've already perfected this. <laughs> the only the only way that this movie could be better for me is if Tom Waits had done the credit song. Yeah. Yeah, like, why did they have Tom Waits not do like, a song for no this? No shade on Annie Lennox. But, yeah. No, I, I really like the Annie Lennox song, too. But let's have a little Tom Waits in there. Mm-hmm. Like, on the chase sequence. Just, oh, my God. Just a little Tom Waits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That would be so good. I am very sad that we didn't get a Tom Waits vampire song, but mm. I love Winona Ryder. Yes. Um, full, full stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> I love Winona Ryder as Mina. And this is probably also my favorite Mina. Uh, number yeah. one, because Mina exists in this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's a thing that I want to go back to the book to talk a little bit about because most adaptations make Lucy the sexy one. But, like, that's present for Mina as well. Even going back to the book, like, if you read her journal entries and her letters to Lucy, both of them are very much up for it. Yeah. (laughs) They are both very focused on having sex. Um, It's just that Mina, because she specifically wants to have sex with Jonathan after they are married and she's like losing her mind waiting (laughs) for them to get married. Uh, But like she wants it in the proper way. So like she gets to be the pillar of virtue. But they are both in this movie, like they're sitting there looking at the Kama Sutra together. Like, you know, so I like that it, it shows that both Lucy and Mina have sexual desire. Mm -hmm. um, And it doesn't have Mina as like this prim proper prude basically yeah because that's not who either of them are and again like mina sort of stands up for lucy's yes like virtue she's like Mm -hmm. yes she flirts and things but she is a sweet innocent girl like Mm -hmm. she might make comments and things but that's because she's rich like she can get (laughs) she can get away with it which is true my rich friend can't help it she's got money but she's not wrong in (laughs) fairness like lucy can get away with flirting like yeah like lucy as an an unmarried woman she can flirt yeah lucy has a lot more freedom than mina does and so the way that mina expresses the same feelings that lucy has has to be different Mm -hmm. just because they're different classes yeah yeah so i i I really like this mina because she's she's the mina in the book and i love the mina in the book and everyone loves the mina in the book Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody loves mina everybody loves mina you are not wrong in saying that mina is the book Mina, but there is the additional element 
that this one brings in, which is the romance thing. Yes, that's true. Between Dracula and Mina. But yeah. even so, like, she still loves Jonathan and yeah. marries Jonathan. And she's like, it, it hurts me because I have this connection to you and the idea that I'm not going to see you again upsets me. But I love Jonathan and I have to go to him and I have to marry him. Yeah, that's... This is the only adaptation that does any sort of Dracula Mina relationship that I'm okay with because most of the time the way they portray it really upsets me (laughs) Um, because it's going back to the the ballet yeah the the way the ballet did it really upset me because it's like number one it's usually accomplished by character assassination of Jonathan and then it's like oh but she really loves Dracula and it's just this great tragedy that they can't be together or in some cases they do end it with Dracula and Mina getting to be together mm-hmm. uh, which I just I don't care for but I like the way they did it in this one because it's very much the the person who she was in a past life yeah um, they the way they do the reincarnation thing I think really works mm-hmm. and there is a separation between Mina and was it Elisabetta? Elisabetta. Yeah. Elisabetta, yeah. It's it's very clear that it is Elisabetta that Dracula is in love with, and that's not who Mina is. Yeah. And Mina is still who she is, and she is still in love with Jonathan. And in the end, like she acknowledges, you know, this past life mm-hmm. connection that they had, but that can't be something that goes on in this lifetime for her. Yeah. Um, and as much as it sucks that Dracula has to die, that's the situation that they are in by the end of this story. And I I do like the way that it does it where she is the one that kills him. Yeah. And then she like goes, no, okay, it's over, but let me be the one that finishes it. Yes. And and it takes him back into the place where Elisabetta died as well. Like Mm -hmm. he is there with her and he can go and, be at peace essentially like yeah in... so it is kind of a happy ending for everyone <laughs> even though Dracula's dead there like I could genuinely keep talking about this movie yeah. there's so many little things about it that I just love we haven't in the casting yet talked about Anthony Hopkins oh he's great yeah like I need to shout out to Anthony Hopkins because Anthony Hopkins understands the assignment and the assignment is be a weird little dude yeah Ben Helsing <laughs> as we have said <laughs> It's just a weird little dude. And if there's one thing Anthony Hopkins can do well, it's be a weird little dude. <laughs> Truly. It's <laughs> phenomenal. Like, uh, I just love him. And, like, they, they kind of get across the weirdness of his dialogue yeah. better in that one. And the other one's, like, he's this really learned guy. Yeah, like, or, I like, love Peter Cushing, as I have said. Yes. But he is very, like, Van Helsing is an upper-crust Englishman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, like, that's not the vibe. Like, I I appreciate <laughs> what you're doing and I respect it, but that's n- that's not the Van Helsing vibe. <laughs> it's not. Like, he talks like a lolcat. I love him! <laughs> <laughs> um, he... Like, a lot of things as well establish him kind of as a vampire hunter. Mm-hmm. Like, he already has... Yeah. And he, that's not the case. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not... I don't really have a problem with stories like that. He's a professor of many, many things. Like, mm-hmm. he's, like, has this string of letters after his name when he yeah. sends the... When you get the telegram or the letter from him, it's just got a string of, and it ends up with etc. <laughs> Did... Because that's in the telegrams. Would he have to pay for all that? 
Possibly. <laughs> if it's in a telegram, yeah. But it's like so MD, PhD, all of these things, etc. He's just a guy who knows a lot about weird shit. Weird shit. Like he knows about obscure diseases and blood diseases. Mm-hmm. And he knows some things about philosophy and literature. And like he's just got a little bit of everything. It's less funny if he is an established vampire hunter. Because mm-hmm. number one, that also makes vampires like an established thing. Yeah. And the whole point is that most of them have never encountered something like this. Yeah. And that it's still rare enough that most people don't believe in it. Yeah. So to have an established vampire hunter kind of suggests that the world is something that it is not. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's just funnier. <laughs> If, if he's just some weird guy and he comes in, he goes, you got vampires. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> Which one was it that had like Van Helsing? It was it the 79 one where he was like, let's hope you're the right blood type. And I was like, yeah. that's not Van Helsing. <laughs> Van Helsing. Blood types in this economy. It's like. In this 1897. <laughs> strap up, lads. <laughs> Stick a needle in that arm and. Get bumping. See, the thing is, like, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, blood types aren't a thing yet. And so to be watching the 79 version where they're like, blood types, I was like, no. <laughs> Please. <laughs> That's the meta commentary. That's not what's happening here. Yeah. I mean, they did set that one in kind of Edwardian yeah. terms. So they may have, no- I don't know, the history of blood science. That's. <laughs> I Yeah. I know I, the history of vampires, mm-hmm. but actual hematology, nah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. So while we could genuinely spend another hour on the 1992 Dracula, and maybe we should have made that its own episode. But yeah. anyway, um, we wanted to talk about, well, I say we, I wanted to talk about Castlevania, mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, Dracula is in it, um, but it's not exactly a Dracula adaptation, by which I mean it. It has nothing in common <laughs> with Dracula. Specifically talking about Castlevania, the TV series. Yes, the, yes, the yes. animated show. Um, I'm a fake gamer girl, and I have never completed a Castlevania game. I watched Brian David Gilbert play Castlevania Aria of Sorrows? Is that what it's called? Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, I, I am specifically talking about the Netflix show, which gave me everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I can't... Listen, we're talking about it now for reasons, but it just... It gave me everything, mm-hmm. and I am so grateful. But yeah, this is not an adaptation of Dracula. It basically took the name Dracula and and nothing else. But the, the connection that we're kind of going off is, um, number one... Uh, the romance aspect, uh, because that's kind of the driving force behind Dracula in Castlevania. Mm-hmm. There's also a, we didn't really talk about it, but the 1974 UK TV movie adaptation yes. uh, has a kind of wife guy, Dracula. Yeah, um, that's the one with uh, Jack Palance as Dracula. Um, and I do actually like what that one does. Yes. I haven't, ha- haven't seen it, we'll say on the record. Haven't seen it, but... It has Lucy be the person that resembles his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And that is something that makes narrative sense. Yes, it does. Like, that would be why he goes for Lucy first and turns Lucy into a vampire. And then when they kill Lucy, he goes after Mina as revenge. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, if Mina is the one that he was after from the start, why would he go after Lucy? Why would you kill her best friend and yeah. turn her best friend into a vampire if you wanted her? Mm-hmm. 
it makes more sense the way that this film did it. Yes. But anyway. Um, but also in Castlevania. Um, so what happens is the church kills Dracula's wife. Um, and so he very reasonably, I might add, uh, tells them that they have a year to leave the town. And then once that year is up, he will destroy everyone and everything. And they didn't leave, so he destroyed everyone. But that's on them. He warned them. He gave them a whole year. A whole year. A whole year. I think that was more than generous. Mm -hmm. The main thing I wanted to bring up Castlevania Dracula here for is um, to talk about Dracula as part of the like post-interview with the vampire mm -hmm. era. Because this is where we see like a shift in vampire representation mm -hmm. from the point of view of the vampires. Yeah. Um, so all of these adaptations we've talked about, Dracula is still the villain of the piece. He is still the big bad. He's mm. he is not the point of view character, as we said. Like Of all of the points of view you get in the book, you never get anything from Dracula. Yeah. Dracula in Castlevania is, I mean, he's not the protagonist, but... Well, antagonist. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not even the antagonist. Yeah. Like, for the first season, maybe. But he the main thing is he gets to be an actual person. Mm -hmm. And his feelings and his emotions are what drive the plot of Castlevania in the beginning. At first, he is absolutely driven by rage. And he is terrifying and just angry and furious but then like by the time we actually get to spending time with him in the show he is just depressed and sad he mm -hmm. misses his wife he's just devastated about what happened to her and he is burnt out like yeah. he has been so angry for so long he just doesn't have anything left in him mm -hmm. and it's the show is so good and it's worth watching for so many characters like I want to specifically say Isaac. Yes. It gets into the vampire point of view and vampire emotions and the way that, like, you, you spend time with the humans because the actual, like, protagonist of this is Trevor Belmont, who is a vampire hunter or monster hunter more generally. Mm. But it is it is a kind of feature of the post-interview with the vampire era that we get Dracula's point of view. We mm. get Dracula as a person who is sad. Yeah. And like that's not that's not something that you get in in Dracula's before. I would say you kind of get a, a beginning of that in the ninety two one. Yeah, like, but that's also post interview with the vampire. The post book. the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to issue a big spoiler warning. Uh, if you have not seen Castlevania, I'm gonna need you to like skip ahead a minute. You you cannot have this spoiler if you haven't seen Castlevania, but I just need to talk about it for a second. So here's your spoiler warning. Stop listening now. Y'all, I got everything. I got, I got everything. Like, I went into this knowing that I was going to lose. Like, I started Castlevania and I was like, I can't wait for Dracula to win. Team Dracula all the way. <laughs> and I really expected him to die at the end of season one and he didn't. And I was like, oh, Team Dracula's winning. <laughs> and I knew that I wasn't, right? And then he died in at the end of season two, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I was like, here's how Dracula can still win. <laughs> <laughs> and again, fully knowing that I was not going to win. But y'all... I won. <laughs> I won. Because <laughs> he got resurrected with his wife. And they just get to live happily ever after. 
They gave that to me. <laughs> I you won. Did. You did. I was on Team Dracula from day one. <laughs> and I won. Dracula wins. I just thought it was nice that Dracula got to win once because he doesn't win in any other adaptation ever. And he won in Castlevania. And I won. And okay. he won. And Lisa won. Yeah, more importantly, Lisa <laughs> more won. more importantly, Lisa won. But but I won, and and that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can listen again. Now. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Dracula three thousand very briefly. Because <laughs> yeah. here's the thing: I said we were just going to talk about Draculas that we liked. Yeah. Uh, number one, we have not seen Dracula three thousand. Uh, number two, we're probably not going to see Dracula 3000 because here's the thing. It's a great concept. The follow through, I understand, is very, very bad. We just wanted to mention it basically for the concept because it's Dracula in space. And as we have said, Dracula is public domain. You are compelled. You can and should put him in everything. Yes. You are compelled to use like, Dracula. Just like <laughs> little fun challenge. Just have a little cameo. Just have a little Dracula. Have a cameo by Dracula. You don't even have to name him. Mm-hmm. Just you need to know. And mm-hmm. then I will know. Mm-hmm. We'll know. We'll know. That that little, that guy that you mentioned, just kind of like Alfred Hitchcock walking past a bus stop. Yeah. In the background of a shot. Mm-hmm. That it's Dracula. That's, that's him. Do it. Challenge. Issued. Please accept. Yes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we just wanted to mention it because um, there is an upcoming adaptation of dracula that is also using the space idea yes chloe zhao is making what is being heralded as a futuristic space western quincy morris please come to the table do not put quincy morris in the space western version of dracula like genuinely i will riot i am coming for you you simply cannot make anything described as any flavor of Western Dracula and not have Quincy in it. Right? Uh, as I mentioned on Twitter recently, like there was a wave of kind of neo-Western vampire movies. Dracula is public domain. Why are you not using Quincy Morris in these vampire movies? Just have a character called Quincy. Mm-hmm. I'll know. But yeah, so Dracula 3000... Like, that's such a cool concept. It really is. For those who don't know, I will, we can sum it up. It, the crew of, like, a salvage ship, captained by Captain Van Helsing, mm-hmm. <laughs> find the derelict ship, the Demeter, and they go aboard it for salvage, and they find uh, the captain's log. They find um, empty crates filled with soil, mm-hmm. and, like, the crew dead. And that's such a cool concept. Like, that's a really really cool way of doing it. And then they just... (laughs) Again, Florence can't find you now. Mm -hmm. You're free. He's public domain. You can just do it. But as we've said, like, you could do so much cool shit with found footage. Yeah. For Dracula. Like, do a modern one where you've got, like, people doing, like, TikToks where they're going, oh, so I'm, like, in this place and it's really... I don't know if this is going to send... But, like, have you seen this weird shit that's happening? Yeah. Like, you could do something really cool with it. Mm-hmm. Dracula 3000, it had a good idea. Mm-hmm. That's it's the a... execution that, uh, yeah. that failed it. But fingers crossed for Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao, I believe in you. 
Um, there are there's a there's a lot of upcoming Dracula adaptations, which frankly is not doing anything to discount my theory <laughs> that um, immigration fear mm-hmm. <laughs> spurs on Dracula adaptations. Because gosh, I sure don't know what uh, anything in the recent news could could possibly be related to Dracula. Anyway, I'm right. Um, so other upcoming adaptations. Yeah. So we've got Karen Kusama's upcoming. Dracula adaptation with yeah. Universal and Bloomhouse, which is very intriguing. I look forward to yeah, it. Yeah, and that has been pitched as being faithful to the book, which makes me very happy. And bring us a Quincy. <laughs> bring that cowboy home. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, leaning away from the romantic uh-huh. spin yeah. that which is fine. adaptations have done. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I, I look forward to seeing it. Um, another thing that I'm very much looking forward to is The Last Voyage of the Demeter, uh, which may or may not be stuck in production hell at the moment. Yeah. I'm really hoping we get it because it just sounds so cool. It's a film that is just focusing on the voyage of the Demeter, as it says in the title. Uh, it's being directed by Andre Overdahl, who did Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dracula will be played by Javier Botet, yes. who is fantastic and does amazing creature work. Yeah. Um, we've got The Bride, ostensibly coming this year. Yeah. There's uh, Renfield is coming. And as we said earlier, you know, Tom Waits has already perfected the art form. So, like... Listen, I love Nicholas Holt. I love Nicholas Holt. I love him. He's got big shoes to fill. I do believe in him. But the thing is that Nicholas Cage's Dracula is just for the... It's for the internet kids who are a generation below us. And, like, I'm frankly too old for that nonsense. So, like, I'm not here for that. Yeah. Sorry, kids. I'm not one of you. I don't care about Nicholas Cage's Dracula. Can, can we bring back Bela? <laughs> can I have Bela again? Anyway, the, yeah. the point of that is we have a lot of Dracula adaptations coming to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and my theory about immigration fear driving Dracula waves is correct. That's yeah, and all. I mean, Lord of Cries only came out last year. <laughs> yeah. Well. And God, I want to see it so bad. The thing is, is I don't think there is any form of media that that isn't a Dracula... Yeah, like this is yeah. our this is our vampire season, and so yeah. of course we had to talk about Dracula because Dracula is simply the most prevalent vampire. He is he is I, everywhere, and it, he's not even the oldest, but no. he's just something about him is just eternally uh, usable. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like we even have a freaking board game. Like there's more than one board game based on Dracula. Mm-hmm. I really, really want Flight of Dracula. Yeah. I really want that game. Yeah. Like, it makes use of the Mina psychic connection to Dracula thing. Like, you can... That's really cool. I think you can roll for that. Like, that's a... If you're playing Mina, that's one of your powers that you can tap in, like, do the reverse psychic link to find out Dracula's movements. That's sick as hell. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I want to play psionic Mina. Mm -hmm. That's fun. We own a copy of... The board game Van Helsing, which tragically, because we purchased it during the pandemic, has never been played. I think I think we, I think I got it in December 2019. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Okay. But it's it says two to five players, but you cannot play it without all five characters. Yeah, and like I, I'm not gonna play three people. 
<laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. So we have not yet played it. Yeah. But excited to do so. Mm-hmm. Someday. Yeah. When, when the pandemic is over and I have finished weaving this shroud for Laertes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we went into this saying it, Dracula Spectacular. And like, we have, as I said, we've been talking for two and a half hours and we have not scratched the surface. There are so many Draculas. There's so many. We have talked about the vest, though, so you don't have to really worry about, <laughs> about the others. Shout out to my man, Ducula. Okay. Got a shout out to Ducula. Listen, we don't have time. We don't. <laughs> We're so over time already. Yeah. Like, we, we simply cannot talk about every Dracula because there are so many. Yeah. I feel like even the notes on this are going to be so extensive. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Uh, if you would like those notes, incidentally, we are utilizing my Patreon and Kofi for podcast extras. Um, Our bonus episodes are up for everyone on Patreon and Kofi. If you would like our extensive research notes, uh, that is at the Phantom tier. It's the higher tier. If you would like our wildly extensive research notes (laughs) Uh, and maybe some pictures, too, because sometimes I do that. That is going to be it from us this week. We must be stopped, and I am going to stop us. (laughs) Um, You can find us on Twitter at Ether and Icor, or email us at etherandicor at gmail.com. As I said, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, Patreon and Ko-fi at VCOddly. We will be back in two weeks talking about Suffolk vampires. Yeah! Coming off this one specifically because of Dracula's daughter. Yes. (laughs) So. <laughs> there's there's more Draculas. <laughs> oh, there sure are. <laughs> but so. for now, we will lift a glass and say goodnight. Pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams.